Hello and welcome to Energy Voice Out Loud, where we are leading the global energy conversation. I'm Ed Reed, Africa Editor at Energy Voice, holding down the fort while Alistair Thomas steals his courage for a Norwegian knees up at ONS. Joining me are Damon Evans, Asia Editor and Hamish Penman, Digital Journalist. Hello chaps, I hope you've had a good summer holes. All good, yep, thank you. Very good indeed, thanks. That's the spirit. Back from Valencia at the, at the weekend, so crashed back into reality. Very nice, that sounds like a good way to do it. Was it, was it uh, incredibly hot? It was incredibly hot, you're not tell by my... <laughs> My radiating tan. It's not great <laughs> podcasting this, because, but you can see it, Ed and Damon. It's a strong visual. You're, you're basically glowing like the sun. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I think we're going we're to start this morning uh, with with Damon uh, reporting on some some tragic events in in a shipyard in Singapore. Damon, look, there've been some terrifying pictures of, of a crane that looks like it's resting on the side of a ship. Just quite what's been going on yeah indeed tragic news from singapore uh keppel shipyard this week um there was news of um an accident on monday the 22nd of august uh, a crane working on a concrete pier um c- fell into an fpso that that the workers were um un- uh, fitting out ahead of deployment for an exxon mobil led project off guyana um, what happened, what seems to have happened is that the concrete pier collapsed underneath the crane, uh, sending at least two workers flying into the water, and then the crane hit the FPSO. Um, one worker was missing, and then they sadly found his body on the Wednesday, the 24th of August, and um, he had he had died, unfortunately. Uh, the other three workers, at least three workers, were injured. They only suffered um, uh, minor minor issues. They're all stable. Um, so, yeah, very sad. Um, Keppel Shipyard said um, they are carrying out a thorough investigation and review. Um, those investigations are ongoing and they could not provide Energy Voice with any further details at, at this point. That was on Wednesday, the 24th of August. Um, now, the worrying thing is that it's the third fatality at this yard this year. Um, we reported on two more, fat- two, two other workers died in May in an accident when a, when a scaffolding uh, structure collapsed. I think it slipped or something. And um, yeah, so kind of worrying. And, and again, Keppel Shipyard said it values the life of every worker and they were working closely with the authorities to, to thoroughly investigate and review what happened. And um, at the time of that article, there was also another report about the death of a worker in 2020 who got hit by a rudder and um, I think had his arm, right arm cut off and he was sent falling in, onto the surface below. He, he, he was actually hanging onto the ship doing some work and um, I think the, the investigation or the, the courts ruled it, it was an act of... Uh, the coroner said that um, they ruled that as an industrial misadventure, but basically um, Keppel at the time told the local media that that particular worker should have been working from a scaffolding or a man basket. So quite, quite who knows what was going on there mm. while he was hanging off the side of a ship to do some work. Uh, so so kind of worrying. Um, you know, Singapore is not exactly a third world, I hate that term, I don't know why I'm using it, third world country. It's it's quite a developed place, um, you know. I, I kind of feel these standards seem to be a bit 
Yeah, yeah, concerning. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if fatality is common in in the UK in yards. This common or no? I don't think so. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't feel that way. I mean, so it's about in terms of times of that sort of regulatory oversight. I mean, I think you know clearly, you know, Capital has had issues like this before. Is is there any sort of suggestion that Singapore may may take some sort of action? I mean, is 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 does Capital you know is is there sort of a chance at, at sanction or is I mean, to what, yeah, to what extent is is uh, might they you know be, be be under threat as a result of failing to to, to provide sort of basic safety uh, functions? Well, Keppel is uh, Keppel Shipyard, Keppel Offshore and Marine. They are majority owned by Keppel Corporation, which is majority owned by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Singapore. Um, so it's government government kind of backed and owned. And I imagine that this spate of deaths, if if the media has done its job right and, and put enough coverage on it, you know, it must be uh, must be causing causing some issues for for the management of capital. It's not a good look for the government, and and I don't think it's a good look for like the clients. Like I think the FPSO, I think is um, belongs to SBM Offshore from uh, the Netherlands, and it's working on a project for Exxon Mobil, and it can't be a good look to have cranes crashing into your fpso and um workers dying etc so so i imagine behind the scenes there must be some pressure but one thing about singapore is they use migrant workers workers from india bangladesh etc and and um they they are not particularly i i hate to use this but in some ways they're treated as like second class humans um you know the the way they it, in COVID, for example, they were locked up in their camps. You know, in quite close confines, probably you know not much personal space, and they weren't allowed out because they might spread COVID. Whereas everyone else in Singapore was allowed to roam freely. So I, I think that's an example of discrimination. Um, there there are there are NGOs, the Migrant Workers Centre have um, posted on Facebook this week following the accident before we knew of the confirmed fatality. Uh, that's an NGO, and they said the recent spate of workplace, workplace accidents in Singapore is a worrying trend, and um, uh, and they are gravely concerned about it. Um, but, yeah, whether anything happens in public that we get to see, whether there's any... Um, any clamp down on Keppel, I, I doubt it, but hopefully the, the clients, I, I would hope there's some pressure from the clients on, on Keppel to improve their standards because, yeah, it, I think it's unacceptable, really. And Keppel claim on their website, if I find it, I wrote it down somewhere. Um, where, yeah, so Keppel's website, they, they, um, they claim to, you know, put HSC as a top priority. And also, yeah, sorry, here it is. It says a strong commitment to HSCE. Uh, We deliver projects promptly and safely. I'm not really sure whether that is 100% correct anymore. And also on the photo of the crane falling into the FPSO, um, ironically, there's a banner on it saying safety first, which Mm. is, um, yeah, definitely ironic. And and, and I suppose lastly, I should point out that there might have to be an independent kind of... um, survey on the fpso structural survey following the crane hit hitting it so that that might be an issue for sbm exxon etc sort of potential delays i mean it's a, it's an interesting question isn't it i mean i think you know do do companies ever at some point you know say that you know a, a yard is so unsafe 
that uh, they'll, they'll they'll no longer award work or do they not have that luxury i mean i suppose you know looking at you know the sort of the strain that the shipbuilding industry is under at the moment uh, it, it it doesn't seem there's a lot of spare capacity and obviously it's been a tough few years so it, it, it does seem, uh, as you say, tragic, but I think, you know, at, at the same time, is, uh, is is there any chance of change? What do, what do you think, Hamish? You're saying that Keppel there need to, or perhaps there needs to be regulation or looking into them. I agree with that. But I think the, the, perhaps if there's going to be biggest change, um, it'll be clients taking their work elsewhere. Surely the, the loss of business and clients not wanting to be associated um, with a yard that's had three deaths in a few months will be the biggest or could be the biggest um, in sway in enacting change. Mm. I suppose the problem with that is, though, that uh, for clients, do they go somewhere that's perhaps even worse or with, the, the, with even fewer regulations and, and more risk for workers? I don't know. I mean, there are obviously dozens of shipyards around the world. It would seem that purely based on the quantity of work and the clients that use it, it would seem like Keppel is, is kind of in the Premier League of, of, of shipyards. They've had. They always seem to have huge projects coming out of there with, and a lot of the European operators use them as well, even though it's X amount of miles away. So there's clearly a big pull there, but um, yeah, I certainly hope that clients start to put the the pressure on a bit because if they start to if if they were to vote with their feet, then then that would obviously spell spell disaster financially, and that's um, that could often be the biggest. Uh, biggest incentive for, for yards to clean up their act. I don't know. Hopefully that will happen um, before any such uh, any such events can, can happen again. But yeah, worrying, very worrying. I mean, it, it does seem that, you know, obviously we've you know, been speaking for the last couple of years about sort of ESG, doesn't it? And, it? and it kind of feels that this is, you know, kind of a clear instance where... You know the sort of the, the the a drive to look and look beyond the, the the bottom line and to sort of look at other factors that make companies uh, succeed or fail is is kind of clearly warranted. So I don't know. It feels like you know hopefully the the ESG kind of ratings agencies such as they are are kind of taking note and and maybe we might see some sort of action. You know that some you know some sort of additional pressure put both on the companies who are you know handing out the work and. And on Keppel, but I, I think that that's probably about uh, all the time we've got for for for, for this uh, for this section. So we're going to take a short break, uh, and then we'll be back with uh, some news of a new exploration find offshore Cyprus. As well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Mega Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So, any this week uh, announced that it had made a new discovery offshore Cyprus uh, in the East Med. Uh, the 
Kronos One well uh, was reported to have, I think, two and a half trillion cubic feet of gas. Um, so a sort of a fairly, uh, fairly substantial discovery, although not uh, not as not as large as some of the other finds in the area. Um, but uh, any, you know, obviously kind of talked about some of the. Uh, some of its plans for a fast track development, obviously hoping to to, to really press ahead and, and bring those uh, bring those gas volumes on as quickly as possible. They're working there with uh, Total Energies, um, who obviously also playing a playing an interesting part in 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 that part of the part of the world. The two companies working also together offshore Lebanon with some plans there. Um, so. It seems like a like a really positive time for East Mediterranean gas. We've we've had a number of discoveries. In addition to this Kronos discovery, there's been um, Exxon uh, appraised a well uh, earlier this year. I think it was called Glaucus, um, and they haven't they didn't re- release results, but uh, that the, the, they 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 certainly seemed happy with him. Um, and that was following up on an eight TCF discovery that they made in 2019. Uh, Chevron has found five TCF at, a, at another well called uh, Aphrodite, um, also offshore uh, Cyprus, and, and and these are all sort of you know following on from the big Zor find off Egypt, uh, which Eni made in 2015, which held something like 30 TCF, and and, and, a, and a couple of big finds off uh, off Israel. So. There's, there's, there's clearly, you know, the East Med has these sort of emerging kind of uh, gas finds, but the kind of the big challenge is obviously, you know, what are they going to actually do with them? If you're next to Egypt, you can, you can, you can export them as as LNG through uh, through Egypt's two LNG plants, or indeed even sort of sell it to local local demand in Egypt. Um, but otherwise, there, there's, there are some real sort of challenges around around quite where they're going to go. You know, there've been talks about. Building a big pipeline into Europe, or new sort of FLNG uh, capacity, but so far nothing's really kind of come together. But I mean, you know, given given the uh, that that sort of the gas crunch that the EU is under, there is real interest in in new sources, and 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 the East Med is is obviously kind of uh, you know quite high up in that sort of pecking order, um, and and I think the the EU, Egypt, and Israel signed a deal in June, I think. Uh, to say that they would sort of support new gas developments in the area, so it it does seem that there's sort of a potential for uh, for, for exports, but as yet it's not quite clear. Do you think uh, you could? Oh, sorry, European governments might um, try and help those. <coughs> excuse me, try and help set up some of those export routes because obviously they are there are such shortages um, that perhaps they'd be rather incentivized to try and make it as easy as possible for the gas to uh, come onto the continent. Um, I'm sure there were a number that were rubbing their hands when they when they saw this announcement from any and, and Total. Depending on how long, how I mean, how many years do you think it'll take to to come to fruition? Yeah, I mean, I think I mean that's that's sort of the big question, isn't it? I mean, so there has been this discussion about an East Mediterranean pipeline. Um, the only problem is that it would be, I think, possibly in the world's deepest underwater pipeline, and it would cost something like. Eight billion, I think, off the top of my head. I'm not sure about the number, but it's you know, it's a a fairly significant wedge of cash. So, so uh, you know, that kind of the, that plan around a kind of a pipeline uh, development is, should we say, challenged. Um, but I mean, so I think you know, there are there are sort of opportunities around around maybe around LNG, but um, it's kind of that question, isn't it, about how long term is European demand going to be? 
um, you know, which which obviously is kind of you know none of us know. I think so. The the European Commission, as far as I know, has sort of been pushing companies to not commit to long term deals, essentially beyond sort of twenty thirty. Um, obviously, taking a bit of a view on 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 sort of you know how decarbonisation can work. Um, I mean, whether that's actually uh, practicable and whether, you know, the uh, European demand will sort of tail off from that 2030 point is, is obviously a big question. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I would have taken the, the, the stance that the Commission has. But, you know, you can sort of see that, that you know, obviously with, with, with an eye on sort of 2050 for net zero, you know, progress has to come. Um, but... Uh, so I think on 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 a sort of a European level, there, there, there's clearly a challenge, but I think you know there's sort of there's that kind of question about the sort of more you know obviously states kind of taking their own decisions about about how to press ahead with those developments and you know particularly Italy I think has has, has been quite an interesting player in the sort of you know six months or so since 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 Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Italy sort of hand in hand with 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 any has been you know really working to secure additional gas supplies you well, know through um, sort of fast track lng and and this seems like a like an opportunity for some sorry damon sorry going back to offshore cyprus i i noticed on the map that total energy seemed to have their their hands in quite a bit of acreage or blocks around around this particular block you you're talking about so presumably they're quite bullish on on the prospects in in that area and the the potential for development absolutely absolutely and, and and with good reason i mean i think you know there has been this sort of string of discoveries and i think you know so there there, there is this kind of uh, sense of a critical mass and i think i suppose that's kind of really where that kind of plans around sort of exports would really kind of come together i think you know these these fines are significant but probably not big enough on their own to you know sort of be a sort of a standalone say pipeline or lng plant but you know together you know you could build up some sort of you know mesh some sort of network of of these sort of discoveries you know sort of any chevron maybe exxon kind of all coming together building something i mean obviously there there, there are a lot of moving parts in that that, that may be a bit of a challenge with uh, some of the biggest companies in the world obviously taking different perspectives on, on on how things could develop but yeah i mean i think there 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 is a sense that uh, there's there's a real sort of you know potential there and 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 i think you know you can see that reflected in the the sort of the world-class companies who are you know at work um you know exxon exxon interestingly enough working with uh qatar energy so obviously you know those two companies you know big uh big big lng producers qatar obviously pressing ahead with his own lng plans it would be, it'd be it's, it's an interesting question around whether Qatar can see uh, room enough for its own uh, domestic production in addition to East Mediterranean volumes. Maybe this means that it can, but it, it, it's certainly very very positive in terms of the, the sort of the roster, isn't it? Exciting times over there. <laughs> uh, is it a prerequisite if you've got a field or a development in uh, in Cyprus in that part of the Mediterranean to give it a? A Greek mythology title, <laughs> Kronos, which is God of the Underworld or something, Af- Aphrodite. Yeah, yeah, We've got, yeah. Whereas, whereas in the North Sea, we seem to name them after James Bond villains and <laughs> and, the, and the like. I mean, everyone's got their own uh, their, their their own uh, conventions, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's good. I think it's it's good to have a theme. I would say. I agree. You, know, you could you could you know work through the uh, the, the 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 deities of, of ancient Greece. 
you know, just sort of all tying it together. And I think, you know, perfect. Um, the only problem is, is you know, when they go wrong. And obviously, they, you know, there is that kind of question around, you know, uh, naming and, 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 you know, I'm just, you know, sort of thinking about, you know, the, you know BP's, you know, Macondo spill in, uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico all those years ago, um, you know, named after that, you know, a, a, a town in, uh, from, from a book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And, you know, obviously, maybe in, in hindsight, was that, a, was that a bad omen? So I think, you know, there is, you know, in, in hindsight, one can, one can uh, you know, kind of go slightly wrong with these, uh, with these naming conventions, can't you? Yeah, in, in, in Indonesia, we, we talked, I think we talked about the Masala project last week mm. did we the and um it's the masala block in indonesia it i don't actually know what masala what what that word means but masala also is very similar to the word problem in indonesian <laughs> so it's kind of aptly named that that block is so many problems trying to get it developed and the name of it sounds just like the word problem in indonesia Fantastic. Well, I think that's probably a good uh, place to start. And and uh, Hamish, you know, uh, talking about problems, I think you know, looking at some of the uh, some of the news coming out of the UK North Sea, maybe maybe some of those problems starting to turn around. We'll be back after this break. Energy Voice presents Future Offshore, a free hybrid event at the Chester Hotel Aberdeen on Thursday, the twenty fifth of August, twenty twenty two. As the transition gathers pace, join me, Alistair Thomas, and the industry leaders to shape the offshore agenda for the North Sea ahead of ONS 2022 in Stavanger. The event will feature three sessions. The first is on energy security. The energy industry must meet critical production targets whilst making the transition. As a tough winter approaches, what are the options? Session two looks at the North Sea as an energy transition frontier, exploring decarbonisation in the UKCS and Norway. Where are comparisons appropriate and what can each learn from the other? Finally, session three tackles the skills transition. What steps are required to reach the jobs and investment levels to ensure longevity of the offshore industry? In-person tickets are limited, but whether you want to join us virtually or physically at the Chester Hotel on 25th of August, 2022, you can register free at future-offshore.co.uk. So Hamish, uh, it looks like things are, are, are looking better in in the UK and you'll see uh, what's what's been going on, and more importantly, what does it mean for my gas bill? That's the question that everyone's uh, waiting for. Um, we will see. Come back to me in a few months, and we'll uh, I'll see what see what's uh, see what's happened. But yeah, some some relatively <laughs> uh, some relatively heartening figures for a change. We're usually pretty uh, doom laden at this uh, with some some gloomy stats. So uh, it's a yeah a nice change, but I'm sure it won't last. But we're, we'll enjoy it while we can. So uh, Offshore Energies UK has done some analysis, crunched a few numbers, and uh, shown that gas producers have stepped up during the uh, the UK's hour of needs. Um, domestic production in the first half of 2022 was 26% higher than in the corresponding period in 2021. And that increase on last year is enough to heat more than uh, 3 million homes for a year. So pretty substantial flows. Um, but yeah, production has come from, amongst other places, Harbour Energy's toll mount platform, IOG's Saturn Bank's development. Uh, Neptune 2 is um, seems to be always drilling new wells at uh, to Cygnus, uh, Cygnus to keep them, keep that ticking over and producing nicely. And we've discussed in depth kind of the issues that the sanctions that have uh, rightly been rolled out against Russia have caused with, with gas prices going through the roof, um, inflation and everything in between, including your gas bill, Ed, and, and my gas bill as well. Uh, but this is, I suppose, the, the market doing what it should with companies making or wanting to make hay while the sun shines, boosting production and ultimately, and fingers crossed, prices falling. 
and falling in the not too distant future because the predictions about where energy bills are headed next uh, don't make pleasant reading. Um, but yeah, I did have a little look at the trajectory of gas prices in the last kind of six months or so, and they did drop dramatically up to July, though it has since gone up again, and it's pretty high again once more. Not entirely sure what the macros behind that were, and there's probably a, a number of reasons for that. Perhaps just a forecast of lower demand with plenty of countries tipping a, tipping a recession. So yeah, we'll keep an eye on that price, see what see what happens to it, because it would stand to reason that uh, with more gas flowing onto the market, it, it should should uh, should decrease, if not massively, then certainly um, noticeably. Um, but yeah, I mean, importantly as well, there was a, a recent House of Commons briefing uh, confirmed that the uh, the UK broke all energy links with Russia in in June, so there was no gas, uh, oil, or coal imported from the country. So given where we were seven months or so ago. Um, when the invasion first started. I'd say that's relatively impressive. I'm not entirely sure of the exact figures of, of how the quantities of what was being imported, but to reduce it down to zero is obviously a welcome move. Hopefully that, um, that's not just for June. Hopefully that's permanently now. Um, yeah, and I don't know how other European countries have fared with, with their efforts as well to reduce imports. Um, but maybe the UK could have done it quicker. I don't know how how it compares to to the likes of, uh, or to, to neighbours, but yeah, it's quite a milestone to hit anyway. So yeah, I mean, uh, things do remain very uncertain. I suppose that's the, the big thing to to flag here. But if more gas is flowing onto the global markets, which is how the price is set, um, an important point, I think, by those who kind of are always angry with the idea that new gas developments will help bills because it's exported. It is exported, but <clears throat> if there's more gas in the global system, then that's inevitably going to bring the price down. It's uh, helping to to meet demands, so less pressure on suppliers, lower prices in theory. Uh, though it will take more than the UK upping its production by a quarter to make a holistic difference. I do acknowledge that, but promising steps nonetheless. And yeah, hopefully a, a, a bit of good news that gas prices or the energy bills aren't going to continue on a one-way uh, trajectory. I mean, I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think, you know, obviously, given that we are, I think the, when this podcast comes out, I mean, it's quite hard to say, but I think, I think, I believe that the, the Ofgem is, is uh, releasing its price cap uh, very shortly, isn't it? The, the, the updated price cap, I think it might be Friday, um, which is obviously when this, when this podcast lands. So there's a, a, a bit of a, bit of a risk about sort of making uh, predictions, but it does feel like that price is going to go up in uh, a, a lot, doesn't it? And I, and I think there is also this sort of challenge where, you know, given people like me sort of sitting at home, you know, looking at that gas bill, um, paying more, and at the same time, industry producing more. So obviously, you know, uh, revenues higher, profits higher. That is going to be, there's going to be a challenge. So I mean, it, it, it feels like it's obviously good news for the industry. Uh, but I mean, I think there, there's going to be that kind of big question around sort of, you know, sort of social license, shall we say, about, about, about you know, to, to, to what extent do I as a consumer sort of see the benefits? And I suppose just in terms of sort of comparison with 2021, was 2021 a good year for, for, for gas production? Was, were, were, were things offline? Was, was this, I mean, because 25% feels like a really big increase uh, in, in, you know, so, uh, in terms of sort of a year-on-year figure. Yeah, I don't know if it was 2021 was particularly good, particularly bad. Um, I don't think we got any 
<laughs> indication that it was was anything more than just a just your classic year for gas but um <laughs> just but a think, classic year yeah <laughs> but i think 2022 um has been lower scheduled maintenance um because so much of it was able to be i think so much of it has been tackled um particularly in in perhaps in 2021 as well so um a lot of the companies have really got a handle on that um which is in well, that was the suggestion from OE UK, which is interesting because union officials and and kind of safety bosses, and as is their job, they're always kind of raising concerns about about maintenance backlogs and the things uh, and the like. But um, but that was certainly pointed to as one reason, and also as I mean, there, there were the two projects that have kind of come online: or um, IOG Saturn Banks and and Harbour Energies um, Tollmount. That's the one. Um, but yeah, I thought it was quite. And then OEUK kind of put in their release that's oh, on and uh, wasn't framed exactly like this. But companies are also kind of doing their civic duty and helping the the UK out in its hour of need and and really stepping up to the plate when uh, when it's been called to them, which they are. But it's not like they're doing it in an ulceristic sense. They're also making wads of cash out of this. <laughs> I would, I too, would be upping production if I could when the gas price is where it is. So that's. And so they should do that. That's their companies. That's that's their um, that's their modus operandi. But yeah, I thought it was quite funny that it was perhaps a tra- trying to trying to paint it as being a a real um, selfless. So that's some really selfless behaviour. But I mean, yeah, like I said um, earlier, that's, that's hopefully what's well, how the market should perform. Hopefully, if they are upping production prices because they're incentivised to do so, and and all companies currently are. Supplies will increase, and and eventually that will crack this uh, tough nut of of high prices and 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 low energy supplies, and and kind of put a bit more power back to the back to the buyers. I mean, high prices should also encourage you know dampen demand a bit and improve efficiency in the way people consume as well, right? It shouldn't just all be should, but gas and oil are relatively price inelastic. Yeah, so so Ed get a wood burner. Then you sorted. <laughs> My weight's got a wood burner, and um, and he saves a fortune on his gas bill. But everyone thinks he's a bit loopy. <laughs> Into this winter, he's looking. He, he's looking gold. Yeah, so. I mean, it's it's quite interesting, isn't it? There, there, there is. Uh, I think there was there was a there was a was it a Deutsche Bank uh, note about a month ago, modelling a sort of a gas to wood shift in uh, in Germany, um, because of high prices. And I think you know there were, I think you know you're you're, you're right, Damon. There, there there is there is a sort of a price signal there about from higher prices, but you know there is a point where people can't turn the heating down any further, isn't there? Um, and 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 obviously you know that's going to be a, a real challenge for 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 us come the winter, when you know there are so many you know all those predictions about so many households being in fuel poverty, and 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 obviously, I guess there is that you know sort of continued pressure on on the government to do something. I, I mean, but but kind of come back to your point, you know, come you know to you, Damon. I mean, I think you know obviously you you talked in the past about you know Indonesia and sort of price caps there, and I think you know obviously kind of you know it's just talking about the East Med and. And, and and Israel has a sort of a price control system, which has seen more gas being exported than than consumed locally. So, I mean, do you see something similar happening with uh, in in your neck of the woods, Damon? Well, that's what I was going to ask about the price cap. First of all, in the UK, that's coming in. Is that a universal cap? So that's on everybody's bill, or is it just on um, like the, the the poorer households or people that live in smaller houses? Because obviously, someone that's got a six bed house, you would presume, can afford to pay the market rate for gas, right? Rather than have a price cap. So it's a it's a it's a it's a limit on uh, domestic kind of consumer prices. So it, it it's a 
limit on the so everybody yeah so everyone everyone so it, people but not 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 companies but uh, so it's the limit on the the price per sort of joule of energy essentially right Hamish uh, no yeah that's my understanding of it as well so so in answer to your question Ed about price caps and things so here it's electricity we use and if you've got like um um, if it, it, so you have certain levels of the amount of capacity you can have of electricity so if you're running like free air cons and a washing machine and maybe you want to use a, a kettle as well you need a lot of power so you would have a higher capacity and you pay a higher tariff on your electricity whereas someone with a much lower capacity uh, because maybe they only turn lights on etc they will pay a very low rate so it's staggered so in a so obviously people that have big houses and run aircon then they are paying a much higher uh, rate for electricity versus somebody that has a small house and doesn't need so much power so they don't install the the higher capacity mm. which i find interesting uh, uh, which i think is you know better than the way they subsidize oil here anyone with a, a big fancy car can go and buy the subsidized oil when perhaps they don't really need subsidized oil yeah 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 and i it, it feels like you know obviously i mean there's been discussion hasn't there about you know whether the price cap should should come to an end and obviously it you know may have created some problems that we didn't see coming and may have stopped companies from from uh, hedging forward gas prices in a way that they might have done in the past but um i think uh hamish do you have anything final to say in closing in response to Damon's? No. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. <laughs> <laughs> then in, with that uh, Hamish delivered bombshell, uh, I think we will bring that uh, to an end. Um, chaps, thank you so much uh, for, 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 for sharing these thoughts with us this morning. Uh, it's been much appreciated. I'm sure that we will carry on having a debate about how best to... Uh, send price signals and, and, and moderate consumption and, and, and find the, the right level of gas production. But for today, for now, I've been Ed Reed. Thank you for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.